Hey, today is the second Sunday of Advent. How many of you celebrated Advent growing up? How many of you that was kind of a big deal for you? Oh, cool. Awesome. So you're kind of familiar uh, with that. Maybe you grew up in a church that, that kind of celebrated uh, the different seasons of the church year. And uh, we know that Advent kind of marks these four Sundays that are leading up to Christmas as a way of, of marking the coming and the arrival of Jesus. And so, in fact, Advent is just kind of this Latin word, which, which means basically arriving or the arrival, the coming. And so, for, for me, Advent, Advent really uh, implies just this expectation. I almost think of it as, as if Advent is this time where we just get to sit and watch the horizon. That's kind of how I see Advent. We're just in this time of waiting an expectation that God is going to do something really, really incredible. And we know that because Christmas uh, is coming. And so this is a time when we celebrate but also anticipate the arrival of Jesus. That's what Advent is kind of supposed to be. Now, unfortunately, during this time of year, we seem to do uh, a little bit less prayerful waiting. Uh, Life seems to get a little bit more busy, as you know, a little bit more hectic. And uh, a lot of us get caught up in this whole thing of running around town and trying to get all the best deals. You know uh, what this is like. And uh, did you hear about the the, the guy that got trampled at Target or something like that? I mean, I don't mean to make light of this situation, but holy cow, people, what does it come to? Uh, And uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but but nothing says happy holidays like, have an elbow, I need to get my cheese grater before you do because it's half price off or something like that. That says, Merry Christmas. Um, but uh, I am really grateful uh, this year because our family, uh, the two of us, is done with our Christmas shopping for the year. And right, we were done several weeks ago, and it has absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, so thank God for those of you that love to shop um, and, and that praise uh, God bless you for that, that it's a hobby for you. Um, this, uh, this parousing around sort of shopping, not just during Christmas, but kind of all year around guys, do you know what I'm talking about here? Just kind of the, the parousing, the hobby. I'm just going to go and look. Yeah, I'm just going to go and look eight hours later. They go, Oh, what'd you get? Oh, nothing. We were just looking, just looking around and, and we talked, we, we, we talked a lot. We spent a lot of time with what, where's the loot? Where's the gifts, right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more, and guys, maybe you can feel me here. I'm a little bit more like the hunt and kill mentality when it comes to shopping. You know what I'm talking about? I've got it on my list. Yeah, amen. Thank you. More of that. So we're coming in. We're coming in. We're, making, we're hunting. We're making the kill, and we're getting out of there, right? That's shopping. Not for everybody. So, Right. Maybe not. Yeah. Anyway. Christmas tends to just bring out the best in us as we're trampling each other to get in. But uh, one of the funny things uh, for us besides all that is that this time of year, Advent, as we uh, anticipate Jesus' birth, um, it's a time for us to actually look forward to another Advent, to the arrival of Jesus for the second time. It's it's a time to long for his second coming, as Pastor Richard reminded us uh, last week. And essentially, this is the idea that's behind this new sermon series that we began last week that's called A Month to Meet Jesus. And we're asking this question during the month of December. What if Advent wasn't just about rushing around and trying to get all our shopping done and trying to get all our plans made? But what if we looked at this month leading up to Christmas with this, this holy anticipation that we're going to meet Jesus? We're going to meet the risen living Jesus at Christmas, that he's actually going to be here. He's not just a plastic thing in somebody's front yard. We're actually going to meet Jesus. And so the the question is, what would you do if you knew that you had a month to meet Jesus? What would you do? How would you live? How would you live differently? 
in your life right now. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at just a few of these key ideas, what, what we believe that God's word points us to. If we had a month to meet Jesus, what are some things that you would do? How would you live? And I'm really excited about this idea that we're going to focus on today. I want to talk about leaving a signature of significance on your life. On and in and through your life. And I really believe that this is a word, significance, that we're all trying to figure out. We're all trying to uh, grasp, grab onto that. Whether we're, we're consciously thinking about it or not, when it comes right down to it, I think what every single one of us really wants is to live a life that matters, right? We want to live a life of significance. And, and for a lot of us, I think we're totally down with the idea that maybe significance, after all, isn't about the size of your house or your bank account or your possessions or anything like that. But, but uh, for many of you, you're, 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 you're far away from upper management and large sums of money and big homes, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of house you have or how much money you have in your bank account. I think all of us are going into life asking this question, is my life going to count for something? I've been thinking about that this week. And so we hear... Jesus say, I think we all understand this. We hear Jesus say, you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Not, not on this earth. And that's pretty black and white to me. Jesus says it's not about this kingdom. It's about another kingdom. And especially during this Christmas season, of course, we're always reminded life is about what you can give, not about what you can get, right? And, and we, we ask, what am I giving? What am I offering to the world? But I don't think we're just asking that during Christmas. I think we're always asking, what would make my life matter? I want my life to count for something. And so what would it look like for every single one of us at the end of your life as you're painting this picture of your life? If you have a paintbrush and every single day that you live, you have an opportunity to paint a little bit. And at the end of the day, what is the signature that you're writing on that day? And is it a signature of significance? Did it matter? Did it mean something? We talked a few weeks ago about what it means to be significant, what it means to be great, at least according to Jesus, in the kingdom of God. This is from Mark chapter 9. You can turn there uh, if you want. Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 35. And it says this. The disciples, they kept quiet. They were walking with Jesus. They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. See, even the disciples were trying to figure this out. Even the disciples were trying to say, okay, I'm following this rabbi from Nazareth, but I want my life to count for someone, something. And, and so the disciples were saying, how do I be great? And then look at verse 35, Mark 9, verse 35, it says this. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said this. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great in the kingdom that matters, serve. Jesus said, do you want to have a truly significant life? Then why don't you start living in a story that's bigger than yourself? One that blesses and lifts up the people around you. And the thing is, once we understand that, once we experience the joy and the freedom it brings to live outside of yourself, to have a world that's bigger than just meeting your needs, once we start living outside of the world of climbing up the ladder, once we start living outside of the world of, of killing ourselves by working 80 hours a week just to please your boss, and after a while that just starts to be empty. 
And we start living outside of this box of spending my entire life looking for that big, happy retirement plan that's at the end of the rainbow. Is that it? Is that the signature of significance that you can get your yacht and put your feet up and sip your lemonade by the golf course? And that's the painting that you want to end your life with. If you had a month to meet Jesus, is that going to be your legacy? Is that what it's all about? And then something about that just doesn't satisfy when we really think about it. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a family uh, here from uh, the church contact me, and uh, it was before Thanksgiving. They said, you know, we've just been praying, and uh, we've got our family and our two kids are going to be back from college, and uh, God has just laid it on our hearts to do something different this year for Thanksgiving, kind of trying to think outside of themselves once again. And they're processing this. How, how do we make Thanksgiving be significant? And so this couple comes to me and they say, we would love to open up our home for Thanksgiving to some to people that don't have a family to be with, or even to those that don't have a home, period, uh, to go to, uh, an extra place to go for the holiday weekend. And uh, we got some extra food, and <laughs> we'd never done this before, but we would love to do that. And so we connected them with some folks uh, from the church here, and uh, I kind of wondered how they would respond to this, you know, stepping outside of their comfort zone. It's just used, just the four of us, just our nice little family in our, in our home. And I was kind of wondering how it went, and then I got this email last week. And she says this, Jack and I wanted to thank you for connecting us with the special people who joined us for Thanksgiving dinner. We and our kids enjoyed one of the most fun and meaningful Thanksgivings we have ever had. Our guests were awesome, and they settled in over the afternoon like it was their own home, just like we were one big family. All the logistics of picking up, dropping off worked easily. I had prayed regularly that week that God would send exactly who he wanted to send, and God really knew what he was doing, especially since this is the first time that our family had ever done anything like this. We were blessed to tears. When Jack and I tried to tell our kids how proud we were of them for helping prepare the meal, interacting with our guests, all we could do is stand there with tears rolling down our cheeks. Thanks again for all your help with this special Thanksgiving. I hope that it blessed our guests as much as it has blessed us. Signature significance on the turkey. And that was one day. But did you hear the joy in that? Did you hear the realization of significance? And, 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 and when it happens, it's so real when significant moments happen in your life and you say, I'm on to something here because I'm living in line with the way that Jesus has called us to live. The significance becomes so real in your life, you can almost touch it. It's almost tangible. It's so real. And, and, and what I'm so excited about is that I see that happening more and more among you as a church. I love hearing reports back from our small groups that saying, yeah, we've been reading this, and you know what? We did something about it. Because we're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. We're not just going through the motions as religious people. We're saying, what would it actually look like if we sat down in our small group and read something and said, well, let's do that. <laughs> this week, in Des Moines, in my family, among my friends, what would that look like? And I believe that we're going to continue... And what we'll continue to find as, 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 we, as we be people that, that are taking God's word seriously is that when we dig into it with a hunger, I believe we're going to continue to find that this 
whole concept of, of kind of the American dream, of, or at least what the world says that's significant, is not exactly going to line up with the New Testament church that's based on the risen Jesus. That there may be not exactly the same things. And so I want to just ask the question for us this morning. What if we actually started to live our lives according to what we know is most important? If I asked you what's significant in life, what's most important, you're going to say faith, family, friends, right? That's kind of the common answer. Do we live like that? Do our priorities line up with what we value? It's a really simple question, but it's huge. I think a really good example of this, and I, and I know not all of you are sports fans, and you go, okay, John, just let it go. Can you talk about knitting or something? I'm not passionate about knitting, so I'm passionate about sports. So that's what I'm going to talk about. But you know what? This story is not about sports. It's about something that's much deeper. It is about football, but it goes deeper than that. So every year, there is a new class that gets inducted into the pro football Hall of Fame. And so these are usually four to five guys that get inducted. This is the best of the best that get inducted. These are the superstars of the stars. And a few years back, among a lot of different other players, um, you may or may not recognize, but one of them was Anthony Munoz. I don't know if anybody remembers Anthony Munoz. He was like the greatest lineman. So in football, you have the two groups of line that they face each other. Working on, my, my wife and I are working on this. So the two lines that face each other and she's a sports fan. And so you have the offensive line. He was an offensive lineman. And his job was just to plow people over. And he was the best in the world at that. He was significant at that. And so Anthony Munoz is this great big lineman. And he played for the Bengals. And you want to talk about having success and achievement. He's a Christian. But you want to talk about having success and achievement. This guy had done it all. 11 Pro Bowls. MVPs. Gone to the Super Bowl. Everything you could ever want. Everything you could ever want. And so usually when somebody is getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they get to pick someone that's going to give their opening speech. It's going to introduce them. So for a lot of these players, it's like a Hall of Fame football coach, or it's their college coach, or it's another really famous athlete. Well, guess who Anthony Munoz picked? Close, his son. His 18-year-old son, Michael. And so here's Michael Munoz, and he is standing up at the podium in front of thousands of football fans that are gathered at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he's likely to say something not just to them, but to the million viewers that are watching this on TV. And he, he has the opportunity to talk about the fame of his father. And I've got the clip for you here, and I want to I show this to you. And as you watch this, I want you to think about what the football fans are expecting to hear. And then I want you to think about a signature of significance on your life. What does that mean for Anthony Munoz? Let's take a look. Well, next will be Anthony Munoz from the Cincinnati Bengals. And we'll talk about his presenter. It's a wonderful story. His son, Michael, who I'm sure you will hear, is a young man who will... Hopefully, God willing, have a great football yeah. career just like his father. Let's once again rejoin Jim Johnson, the master of ceremonies. Please welcome Michael Munoz. Thank you. <laughs> I know that you expect me to introduce to you another great football player. 
and in the way I am. You, I'm not going to focus on the fact that he was the number one draft pick for the Cincinnati Bengals in 1980. Despite the fact that he suffered three knee injuries out of four years, including his senior season at USC. I'm not going to focus on him being the first player ever selected to 11 consecutive Pro Bowls. Or his unanimous selection to the team of the decade. Or even NFL's 75th anniversary team. Instead, I'm going to use this time to say thanks to my dad for what he has meant in my life. Dad? Thank you for always being there. By coming home when you could have gone out with the guys or by not taking jobs and so you could watch me and Michelle play basketball and football. Thank you for taking us with you whenever and wherever you could. I never rem remember you watching you play, but I always remember being there. I remember going to Spinney Field I remember going to the Pro Bowls, trying to catch Reggie Roby's mile-high punts, getting Bruce Smith's shoe autographed and getting Howie Long's practice jersey. And thank you for keeping us in your heart when you're away on the road, by bringing us gifts or calling us on the phone to let us know that you love us. Thanks for always being there. And thank you for always being consistent in your work ethic. I remember Michelle and I would go to Sycamore High School. And you'd be running. And you would run. And run. And run. And me and Michelle would say, are you done yet? And he would start his sprints. And thank you for being consistent in your walk with the Lord. Yeah. You've always been consistent in leading our daily prayers No matter what happens Good or bad Easy or hard I've seen you trust God And be consistent in what you say And what you do Thank you for always being there, always being consistent. But most of all, thank you for always being a real person. You have been my model. I have learned to say I'm sorry, I was wrong, from, from you being big enough to admit your mistakes. You have modeled humility. I have learned to respect women because of how you have loved and respected mom. You've also been my mentor. You've taught me technique, strategy, moves, and drills. 
You have taught me to let my actions speak louder than my words. And to make people more important than things. And finally, you have shown me how to be a man. Recently in Ontario, California, where he grew up, his former classmates and friends all had the same basic thing to say about him. Everybody knew who the big man on campus was, except for one person, and that was him. Humility has always been a hallmark for your life. You have shown me strength under control and how to be tough while still being tender. You are a real man. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you a great football player, a great friend, a great father, and a great husband. He is a man who stands tall among men because he is a man who walks with God. He is a man of God. I introduce to you my father, Anthony Munoz. that doesn't just say it. I don't know what does. Talk about a holy moment. Instead of what everyone else thinks, what the son decides to say is, I'm going to take this moment that I've been given, this platform that I've been given, and I'm going to write significance on it. Because it's not about football, and it's not about award, it's not about the Hall of Fame, and it's not even about Anthony Munoz. It's about honor and integrity and respect and commitment. And most importantly, did you hear the line, thank you for being a real man, for being a man that walks with God. His son Michael is taking this painting of his life and holding it out in front of people and he's signing it with significance. In the end, this isn't even about a mountaintop experience. A lot of us think, when I get that job, when I get that house, when my family is in order, when I arrive in life, That'll be my mountaintop experience. But for Anthony Munoz, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame is not the mountaintop experience because for him, the only mountaintop experience is one's going to be he's not on the podium, but God is on the podium. The significant one is on the podium, and he's down here, and all together we're worshiping the God of the universe. That's going to be a moment of significance in his life. And I think I I can probably speak for all of us in saying that probably none of us are going to be standing at a podium receiving a Hall of Fame introduction. Although I'm still planning on being a professional athlete, I just wanted to say that. uh, Just as a backup, in case the pastor thing doesn't work out, I'm going to move into that. Um, But ping pong, probably professional ping pong. Each of us has this painting, and we're painting it. And every single one of us is not going to get inducted to the Hall of Fame, but every single one of us has a little corner of the world that God has given us to pour into because there's always, always someone watching. Flip back with me to our uh, scripture for today from Colossians chapter 3, and I want to just zero in on one verse that's going to frame this for us. Colossians three seventeen. Colossians three seventeen. Throw this up on the screen. Let's read this together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the picture that we get from Scripture. That's a picture we get from Anthony Munoz. That's the heart of significance, what we all long to have written on our lives when we're done. 
But where do we start with significance? How do you get there? Just a couple action points. What does that look like? Flip back a couple pages with me to chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. How do we start living this way? Colossians chapter 2, 13. It says this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He forgave all our sins. God made you alive with Christ. How do I start living a life of significance, you ask? It has to start with transformation. If we haven't gone through the transformation, it's hard to live a life of significance. Because maybe you've gotten to that point where you've realized that the only one, the only one who was able to look at me and said, you say, you are dead, now come to life. There's only one person in the entire universe that can do that, and it's your Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to just ask you, are you alive today? First of all, if we're going to live lives of significance, are you alive? I'm not saying like, are you alive? You can check if you want to, but are you alive? Are you alive? It's it's, it's not playing church. It's not the religion thing. It's not going through the whole, well, if I do all this for God, if I climb the ladder, if if I try not to sin, then I'll make it someday. It's not that whole thing. Are you alive today? Does that describe your life when people look at your life and say, oh yeah, he's fully alive. She's fully alive. Does that describe your life? Are you the kind of person that's realizing it's only because of God's grace today that you have breath in your lungs? Because God has done something drastic in your life, and we tend to call it this churchy word called salvation, but I can just call it that God wrecked you for the better. God has ruined your life for good because it's never going to go back to the way it was. It's this transformation. And there's a connection that happens at that point about significance because all of a sudden, this guy is no longer who's significant. It's that guy that's significant. And I'm living my entire life based on the fact that he is significant and the one who is significant loves me and that frames everything in my life. That's where my identity is found. That's where significance starts. And then that starts to trickle down. If he's the significant one, then every little thing I do in my life is framed in that view. The one who is significance died for me. And that changes everything. So maybe we don't need to go jumping ahead to verse 17 about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to back up and we've got to ask ourselves today, has, has that transformation taken place in me or am I just going through the motions of church? Am I just playing religion? Slow down enough to ask the Savior that's coming in a couple weeks, are you real in me? Or is Christmas just going to be a holiday? I want to know what it means to be fully alive. Okay, so significance starts with transformation. And the, the second thing that is we're just looking at that... Um, Liz, if you want to throw that verse up there one more time. As we're looking at that verse, the second thing that just jumps out to me from there is excellence. It's that part of do it all for the glory of God. We're called to live life with excellence. And and hear me, it's not about perfection, it's about intentionality. Because chances are some of you are sitting there right now and you're saying, okay, thanks John, good little pep talk, Jesus loves you, go live significantly, that's awesome. But John, you don't understand, there's nothing significant about my life. I have a pretty meaningless life right now. I have a meaningless job. 
There's nothing significant about my life. It's just I'm in survival mode right now, actually. But here's the thing. You can be excellent at anything. Every single one of us can be excellent at anything. There's lots of different passions in this room. We all have different things that we're gifted at. But what we're called to do is live lives with excellence. And right now, you may feel so far away from that Anthony Munoz Hall of Fame moment. But significance is about being excellent in what God has provided for you today. And excellence, listen to this, excellence builds a platform for which you can tell the world about Jesus. I don't know if you saw the other Hall of Fame football players that are sitting there next to Anthony Munoz on the platform, and they've got their Super Bowl rings on, and they've got their Rolls Royces waiting to take them back to their mansions when it's done. And I'm pretty sure that they heard Michael Munoz talk about his dad that day. And... uh, I think that they would listen to anything that Anthony Munoz had to say the rest of the day. Why? Because he's a big, strong football player? Absolutely not. It's Anthony Munoz. He's the greatest football lineman ever. And we get the chance to live with excellence. It builds a platform for which people respect you and you get the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. People aren't going to say, Anthony Munoz, why... Michael, why did you get up there and talk about your dad as a Christian and all that Jesus stuff? I bet nobody said that the entire day. Because you can command the respect of the people around you, not just with the words that you say, but with the integrity in which you live because you're living for an audience of one. And so today, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm just an accountant. I am a clerk. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm a barista. This is who I am right now. That's why I don't have significance. And that's why I don't have to be excellent because I'm just a barista. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a clerk. I, I, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a barista. I get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and I, and, I, and I don't like my boss and it's terrible hours and, and I'm just tired of dealing with those grumpy people all day. But I love Lutheran Church of Hope and I'm just here today praying that God would use me in a significant way. You see what I'm saying? That's kind of the dynamic that we're working with here. God, would you just use me in a significant way? When I arrive, then you can use me, God. And my question is, why not today? Because you can write significance on each cup of coffee over each day that you teach at school, over every single morning that you're getting your kids ready for school, over every single evening that you have with your spouse, over every single delivery that you make, over every single business deal that you do. Significance. And we have that opportunity every single day. And when I'm talking about being a Christian and work and all that stuff, here's what I'm not talking about. If you're a barista, I'm not talking about, oh, here's your coffee. Ooh, you think that's hot. You know, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, then you think that coffee's hot, then you can, okay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going around all your clients and handing out WWJD bracelets. Okay, that might help, right? But I'm talking about something way bigger than that. I'm, I'm talking about what would it look like no matter where you are, any level in society or in your job, to build a platform of excellence. Why not go down in the annals of history as the best stay-at-home mom ever? as the best barista ever, as the best computer salesman ever. 
Not because you handed out WWJD bracelets, but because of your attitude and because of your passion and because of the way that you loved your fellow employees. What would that look like? And then your platform is not going to be on the Hall of Fame stage. Your platform can be every single day. And in case somebody sticks a microphone in your face, you know what naturally is going to come out and is going to ooze out of your life? Jesus. Because of the way that you lived. Because when you think about it in, in so many other parts of our lives, people are attracted to excellence, not perfection. People are attracted to excellence, but they're also attracted to health. I'm just thinking about this as, as we're coming up, just to kind of give you a closing analogy of this, as we're coming up on the flu season. What's the first thing you do when you go to work or when one of your kids just has this nasty, icky, what do you do? Do you go up to them and just rub your cheeks together and give them a big kiss? Like, no, get as far away from them as possible, right? People are repelled by sickness, but they're attracted to health. They're attracted to health, and this concept goes way beyond germs. We love to be around people that are healthy and happy and outgoing. If there's somebody hacking up a lung at your work, you're probably not going to go hang out with them and say, here, you can use my Kleenex and just blow it all over mine, right? We're repelled by sickness and we're attracted to health. We're attracted to excellence. But this is far beyond germs. Jesus says to us as his followers, you are a city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, be who God created you to be. Live a life that's significant and people are going to be naturally drawn to the light in you. You don't need to flaunt yourself. You don't need to be, some, you don't need to be somebody that, 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 that just speaks all the time and tries to convince people of things. When I look around me today, I see two different ways that we can affect the people around us. One option is we kind of take this prideful, authoritarian mindset, and we try to convince others that as Christians, we have all the answers, and they should really listen to you. You should listen to me because I'm a Christian, and therefore I have the right to speak to you. But here's the thing. It's easy to force people to listen to you, but unless you love them, you'll never be able to force people to actually hear you. They listen to you all day long, but are they ever really going to hear you? Or on the other hand, what we can do is simply be servant leaders, humble, loving, encouraging, being faithful to our spouses, pouring into our kids, being incredible friends. Who would you rather be around? Which one of those scenarios is being a city on a hill? And I believe it's the same for us as a church. People are naturally drawn to communities of health, not perfection. People are naturally drawn to communities of people that love with no agenda, that invite you to be a part of something that's greater than yourself and challenge you to go deeper, even if it's tough. Because people are looking for communities of significance to model their lives after. And it's not about being perfect. People are not looking for perfect Christians. People are looking for real Christians. Real. Anthony Munoz, at the end of all things, Anthony Munoz did not steal the spotlight at the Hall of Fame ceremony that day because he was perfect. He stole the spotlight because he was real. And the other guys sitting up there were probably saying, I would trade the millions of dollars and I would trade all my Super Bowl rings and I would trade all my Rolls Royces for my son to say that about me one day. And that's the truth. For Anthony Munoz, that was the signature of his life. 
I think when we get to the end and we're standing before the God of the universe, he's not going to look at you and say, why were you not Anthony Munoz? He's going to look at every single one of us and say, why were you not my beloved son? Why were you not my beloved daughter that used the gifts that I've given you, that accepted the person who you are and poured into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there for the rest of your life? And you wrote significance on the painting that's now complete. We're going to continue on in this series called A Month to Meet Jesus. And it's my prayer that as we journey through Advent together, that we would slow down sometime before Christmas enough to say, Jesus, you are the significant one. I'm not the significant one. God, show me what really matters, not just during Christmas, but all my days. Amen? Let's stand.